Welcome to Sales Enabled, the podcast for salespeople, sales leaders, and sales enablers everywhere who are committed to making the sales profession better for everyone involved. Hey everyone, Dan Story here from Sales Enabled. Welcome to this episode of the podcast with Chris Hatfield from Sales Psyche. Chris is a very cool guy, spent 14 plus years in sales and sales leadership roles and now runs Sales Psyche, teaching concepts from mental toughness, stress management into the sales world to help people effectively deal with the challenges of being in a, a sales or sales leadership role especially given the context of where we are at the moment. Really interesting session. We talk about the theory. What is stress? How does it play a part? We talk about some tactics. How can we actually get over stress? And then there's a few giveaways from Chris at the end in terms of ways you can find out how well you cope with stress as well. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation with Chris Hatfield. Hey, Chris, great to have you on the show and good to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. Uh, Looking forward to this. Yeah, this has been a topic that I know has been top of mind for a lot of people. And as soon as I posted on LinkedIn to say, hey, who knows anybody about self-management, time management, then your name came up uh, very quickly, uh, which is a good sign. So clearly the man to go to on this topic. And uh, yeah, looking forward to picking your brains a little bit about it. But let's just quickly help me help the listeners get to know a little bit more about you, Chris. You know, who are you and how did you spend New Year's? I, I think that's a pretty good story. How did you spend New Year's and what does that tell us about you as an individual? Uh, yeah, so I suppose who I am in a nutshell. I um, well, I suppose the natural thing is people always start with what they do. But I suppose for myself, I'm, I'm someone that has experienced um, anxiety pretty much throughout my whole career, pretty much when I first started in sales. And that, the reason I start with that sometimes is because I think it explains what I do now and um, had that sort of personal interest of in wanting to develop myself, which is why I then created Sales Psyche uh, nearly two and a half years ago with the sort of purpose to support and create healthier and high-performing minds without the burnout, really, within the sales and commercial world. Uh, how did I spend New Year's? I uh, follow a guy, some people will probably be familiar with this, listening, Notes to Strangers, an artist called Andy Leake, um, and he will place random notes all around London. He's also started doing it in different locations recently, like Argentina he went to recently and did it. And they're just sort of really short, succinct messages uh, that give people this kind of moment of joy, of, of reminders, of reflection, um, which we all need. And, and it's something that was really sort of close to my heart. And I saw a post of his early December saying volunteers wanted for New Year's. And, you know, I've been in there and done that on New Year's where you're in a packed pub paying overpriced drinks. You paid for an overpriced to get in there. And I thought, do you know what? I want to do something a little bit different this year. I've, 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 I can come on to this shortly, but I've uh, ret- written a letter from my future self, which kind of included a little message around this. So I thought, well, I locked in and it turned out it was um, turning up 50 strangers in Brixton, in his studio going through and looking at all these 200 notes that he's got. And then he gave us um, about six or seven notes each to go out and put up around London on our way home. And uh, just for anyone listening, it was on council owned property. So no private property all on telephone boxes that really, you know, when you see what else is posted up there, it doesn't really have much of an impact, but um, yeah, just spent my evening posting it, putting these up and it's been nice seeing them since I've walked past them on the way to the gym. And I've also seen other people looking at them and, uh, yeah, I think, you know, his story is is all around related to similar to mine around mental health as well. So that's how I spent it. 
Well, I love it. I love the the motivational statements. I think that's, uh, like you said, if, if people are going into a phone box at that, <laughs> at that time of day, then having a motivational message is probably a little bit more healthy than, than some of the other messages that are scrawled in those places. That's awesome. And also, obviously, we're going to talk about mental health and, and self-esteem. And I know that actually talking to yourself more positive or having those those positive messages is one of the key components of building a healthy self-esteem. So, yeah, love the fact that you're walking what you talk as well. So that's uh, that's super important. You talked a little bit about how you came up with Sales Psyche as well. You know, sales is a tough environment. You know, you've got to have a, a form of resilience. You've got to have a, a kind of mindset um, that, that allows you to to deal with the roller coaster, right? The, at the end of months, end of quarters. So how did you how did you make that transition from from sales into realizing the importance of of mindset and, and psychology? Yeah, I think uh, it happened quite early on. I'd, I'd gone to uni, done sports coaching, so I'd always had an interest in in that side of things. Um, and just from self-discovery, really, I've always been quite a curious person. Ever since I was a kid, always asking what's next, what's happening, why are we doing this? And I think I've just sort of taken that into my adult life, really, and got curious and wanted to understand more about the psychology, the mindset side of things, and then realizing that a lot of it wasn't being spoken about in, in sales and in commercial roles or even being trained um, out to people, worked in a sales training company and realized that stuff wasn't really being talked about at, at all, if anything, like sort of five, 10 percent of the time. So, yeah, just sort of took it upon myself, started using it, saw the impact for myself, saw the impact for other people. And just over two and a half years ago, got to the point where the pandemic had happened. And I thought, well, you know, it's we're talking about this more now, but still very from a reactive point of view. And I wanted to wanted to change that. I wanted to create something more preventative and proactive that wasn't just straight to therapy or counselling, but was more around coaching and more around the education piece, um, the prevention yeah. piece. And that's how it started. I, I love how you start you started in sport as well. We should probably talk about that at some point. But my first experience was in sport as well. I studied sports science and, and some maths at uni. Um, but then it was when I was playing sport that, you know, met a, a good sports psychologist who actually started on this thing. And actually, you know, if we look at sport, sport uses this all the time. And, you know, we've just had the World Cup. We've probably got some kind of championships coming up this year. The the elite of the sports world use this as, a, as an additive element. It's not a corrective element. This is an additive thing for performance. And so, you know, from a high-performing team, high-performing individual, some of these techniques are going to be, you know, obvious. But, you know, you're obviously applying it in the kind of corrective space as well and helping people deal with stress. You know, I was just looking online, you know, stress, depression, anxiety, they're still the number one cause for people being off work. And so I'm not surprised that you're kind of going into companies and talking about these these techniques of ways that people can deal with it. Um, how, you know, the, how, how, what's, what have you seen as the key things? Like, you know, what's your unique take on, on stress and how people manage themselves. You know, what, what have been the things that, you know, you've read the books, you've done the study, but what is it that you've really noticed has, is important, especially in the world of sales? I think, first of all, it's the perception of, of stress. It's the perception of any emotion that has the biggest impact on it. Uh, and a lot of the time we see stress as this negative thing, which can cause more stress, or we have some people that see it as this positive thing, which means they put themselves into more stressful situations which leads to burnout. But stress isn't a positive or negative. It just is. Just like anxiety, 
just like pretty much all of our emotions. And we're very quick to want to label things as good or bad. Like it must be this. And if it's not this, it must be this. But it's just an emotion and it's your perception or reaction that will often cause you to see it as a positive or negative around it. And I think that the biggest impact is seeing it that way because all emotions are signals. They're not threats. They're like a smoke alarm going off. They're just trying to go, hey, you need to pay attention to something. But often we see it as the house is already burning down and we're like, oh, God, you know, what can I do here? I'm helpless. But it's actually going, well, hang on, it might be the toaster. It might be the oven. It might be a dodgy smoke alarm. So I think the perception is really important and, and changing the reaction of asking yourself, you know, what's this trying to tell me versus why is this happening to me? Oh, God, I'm stressed. Turns it from more of a, a sort of helpless victim mindset into more of a productive uh, one that you can actually build a level of gratitude towards versus yeah. feeling stuck in. Yeah, they, they say stress pressure is you know, what creates diamonds. I, I, I do love a cliche, so I'm happy to use it. But it's, it, it depends what's under pressure, I guess, right? You can't just take a banana and put it under pressure. It doesn't turn into a diamond. I've tried it. <laughs> it just turns into no. a whole bunch of mess. It's, so I think it's, you know, it's the character of the person or the thing under stress that determines the reaction, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, that phrase pressure creates diamonds is, but if your perception of pressure is negative, then you're not going to enjoy it. You're not going to see it as a positive thing. You're not going to stay the course. So you're not going to end up with a diamond in the first place. Have have, have you seen people's perception of stress change, especially you know, with, with the pandemic and things happening? Have, have people become more stressed? Are they more susceptible to stress? What have you noticed uh, in terms of changes? Yeah, I think I think it has increased. I think, um, you know, I think I saw a study there's around like 30 or 40 percent more people in sort of risk of burnout than there was pre-pandemic. Um, and I think it's just that feeling again, because it's not being labeled in the right way. And it's not something you get taught at school or university or, you know, when you, when you start your career or anywhere, really. Uh, and, and there's more and more things. You know, if you look at what's going on in Ukraine, cost of living crisis, all of these things, there's more stresses there's more pressures for people and you know particularly in sales where that kind of feeling of i need to i need to earn more money so you build a certain lifestyle and then you then need to maintain that lifestyle that can be that can be challenging um and that feeling of overwhelm is is very natural when you have got all these different pressures and feelings going on so is there you know there's this hedonic treadmill thing that i always want a little bit more obviously we've got the the cost of living changes happening at the moment as well, probably putting more stress and more pressure on people. So we're just, are we just seeing an increase in the amount of stress that people are facing or are we seeing people not able to handle the stress as well? Or is it a combination of both of those factors? You think? I think it's both. Yeah. I think it's, it's an increase um, in the, in the types of pressures and stress. And therefore, because it's something that we've, we maybe not experienced this scale before. There isn't that ability to be able to understand how to manage it and that feeling of helplessness and hopelessness from it. And also, you know, with what's happened with the pandemic and more people working remotely now as well, there's that sort of challenge of finding that sort of alignment. I don't call it balance, work-life balance. There is no such thing. It's an alignment um, to be able to manage it because the lines yeah. are even more blurred. Yeah, and I think, like you say, the remote element take you know, back in the day, you used to be able to turn to your buddy and just say, hey, can you help me out? We don't have that as easily now, I think, unless you really nurture those relationships, you know, a quick Teams or Slack message isn't quite the same as saying, hey, can we just go for a quick 
know, a two minute walk or something along those lines. And so I think, you know, from a sales perspective, from that individual contributor perspective, you know, the stresses are high. You know, we're seeing teams getting shrunk, but targets not getting shrunk. You know, so the pressures are on the individuals. Managers are having to manage bigger teams. You know, they've got so many requirements. And so the pressures are kind of mounting on the managers, which means they're not able to support the the, the salespeople as much as anymore. So, you know, we're, I'm seeing this as well in my conversations. It's just this, I guess, a vicious circle of, you know, the potential to for stress just to kind of bubble over. Right? And I think, you know, you mm. talk about the stress container because we can deal with a certain amount of stress, but at some point it's, it's going to bubble over. Right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so how, let's, let's get into some of the strategies then. So, you know, I think my strategy, I, I, we can talk about exercise. I'd love to get your take on exercise as a, as a, as a remover of stress. And I was, you know, there's the fight flight element and exercise being a good way of kind of at least burning off some of those hormones. But Let's let's talk about some of the the coping strategies or the techniques that people can use. How can we better manage our stress? How should we think about stress differently? Where, where do you want to start? Um, yeah, I mean, oh, how long you got? Uh, there's there's, got some there's time. tons. <laughs> I think um, I think there's. I, I'm always big on on tactical ways, so I'll go through sort of two or three things. Um, the first thing to try one of the biggest sort of impacts of stress is often how we react to it and how we respond in those initial moments that can then cause that kind of domino effect throughout our day or week and almost feel like I've ruined my day now or that message or that email or that call. So uh, studies have shown that within 90 seconds, our bodies can reset themselves back to a natural state. So there's a 90 second emotional window. uh, And the, the idea here is that stress will often cause this physiological dumpage of chemicals that come into our system because it's like, Oh, You're under threat, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Which one is it? And then if we don't respond in those 90 seconds, the body goes, oh, okay, actually, it's not as bad as we thought. But the problem is that happens. We then do something. We respond back to that person. We send that email, that Slack message straight away. We tell ourselves, I'm going to have a terrible day. And then the body's almost like, oh, we justified it staying in the system because there is a problem. Yeah, It's like, you know, the fire brigade turning up and going, oh, there is a fire. So... The 90 second window, the idea behind it is if you can try and control your response in those 90 seconds, you can become more of an observer of your emotion rather than a sort of victim or an opponent to them. So a really simple way of doing this is getting a stopwatch on your phone or your smartwatch. And when that happens, or even before it happens, I'll talk about that in a second, put 90 seconds on and count to 90. And what you're doing when you're counting, you're having to use the rational part of your brain which means it interrupts the primal part of your brain, which is where all that emotion is sitting. And when you're counting, start to notice how is your body responding? Like, where is that stress flowing? You'll often notice it's probably rushing to your face, your hands, wherever it might be. Everyone will have unique triggers. And this is a really good tool, but any like any tool I'll talk about today, don't just try and use it when you need it. Don't yeah. just try and, it's like waiting to sprint and then sprinting when you need it. You're going to pull a muscle, like if you don't train for it, same of any sport. So, Try and practice it even when you've had a, a good call, you've had a good conversation, you get a message come in, a deal closes, try it then. It might be difficult, it might not feel natural, but notice because you'll have a different kind of experience of, oh, what kind of emotions are coming in then? Yeah. But if you practice it when you don't need it, you're more likely to build the habit of using it when you do. So that would be the first one. 
that I'd recommend. I love that. Yeah. And, and you talk about physiological reactions, you know, the, the idea of hot-headed. I know this is one I get. I get that email that comes in where you're just like, and you immediately start, and you do, you, you type even differently, right? I don't know, the, the keyboard yeah. gets it. And you, you get ready for that email, and you're just about to hit send, go and make a coffee. Go and, go and take, like you say, 90 seconds, breathe, uh, and then come back and rewrite, reread the words or just delete the draft and rewrite it again. Yeah. I find um, Grammarly excellent with that as well, with a little app that tells you if it's a smiley face. Uh, I'm trying try and always communicate in a way that, that comes across effectively. But I love that, you know, and, and also the positive side of things. You know, we want to be able to balance our emotions, not just in, in the bad times, but also like saying the positive times. Um, can't remember who said it, but these things shall pass is the idea that everything is is transitory so yeah okay so great so 90 second window reset the physiology whenever some stress comes up but you said we can do it even quicker in the moment as well um no i'd say 90 seconds well you, over time you might be able to notice that that would become more efficient yeah um but 90 seconds is the kind of average time it takes perfect okay awesome um, what are the techniques? What are the strategies have you seen that, that work for um, dealing with this? It links to, I suppose, what often happens is when we start to feel stressed, it's normally caused by a situation, something's happened, and we've created this kind of story in our heads. And again, this is where our primal brain is driving. The amygdala, the amygdala hijack kicks in, and we start thinking irrationally. We start creating all these stories of going, oh, this person's, for example, like, sent me this email because... They just don't want me to this deal to close or they're not going to, or this person hasn't responded to me because they're ghosting me or this deal isn't going to come in. Or my friends just WhatsApp me this, they're annoyed of me. Like something's happened or my partner, any, anything you can take this in a work or personal context. And we create these stories in our head and, and this links to confirmation bias, which is, you know, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're always right. It's going to look for all the yeah. evidence to back it up. And then your body again, goes into that fight, flight, freeze, or fawn state of, right, which one Which one are we doing here? And you'll have a default setting for certain situations, maybe at work and maybe in, in personal life as well. Can be the same, can be different. So the idea here is when you give yourself a statement, your brain will always stay in that primal mindset, which is why when people go, don't, don't worry about it. Don't just be positive. It's like going, and it's, it's about as useful as telling someone to calm down. It never works. Yeah. And he makes no, things I'm not worse. A massive fan of those kind like, of it just, encouraged. you can't just produce serotonin on tap and go, oh, well, no, you've said it. It's not useful. Statements do not help in that situation. Questions yes. are what are going to be beneficial. Questions is what's going to access your rational brain. It's why when you're sitting in a Zoom meeting or in a meeting, physically and someone will ask a question you'll automatically like switch on you like, oh was that for me or you know if you're in this huge amphitheater sometimes and you're listening to something so two questions to ask yourself imagine your brain is like a courtroom and when you're in that default irrational state you've just got the prosecution feeding the jury going this is the case this is what they think of you they're ghosting you they're not interested they're annoyed of you whatever it might be and you've got to imagine you're creating a a defense in that courtroom and they're going to go where is the evidence that this thought is true and what else could be true here so where's the evidence where's the evidence that person's ghosting you where's the evidence that person's annoyed of you well that well there isn't any and your brain might go well, do you remember last time or where's the evidence that call didn't go well or that presentation or, or won't go well do you remember last time it's like well yeah that was two months ago how many presentations or calls or demos have you done since and then what else could be true here if someone's ignoring you or you think they're ignoring you, what else could be true? They've got 101 things going on at the moment. It's just the start of the new year. They've just come back from their break. Their emails are probably 
flooded with things. I'm probably the least of their priorities at the moment around it. Or what else could be true? That person's really busy and they just sent me a quick message saying, okay, fine, because they don't want to say show that they're ignoring me. I so those that. two I questions. Love, I love the jury idea. I know and yeah. clearly I'm watching too many uh the CSI, FBI type <laughs> dramas uh on Netflix or whatever. But it's that idea, right? Is that if you're in defense mode, you've got to provide another kind of video person who could have done it or you know I, clearly into detective mode far too much gonna have to change my watching strategies um but it's that right let's introduce another alternative solution i know you know the the examples of you know when somebody cuts you up and you're driving we immediately just react in a way where they're an idiot or some more colorful word but you know i i've been in a situation where you know you, you're driving your wife to the hospital because you're planning the baby room. you're going to have to do crazy things like that and immediate that that other way of thinking about things just changes your your whole physiology the whole way you think about a solution a situation and it changes yeah. the the physiological reaction right you can breathe a lot easier you don't have that hot headedness as much there's still a pain in the butt but you know you, you can yeah. you can at least deal with it and act better moving forward right yeah, I mean, it, it, a lot of the time it will create empathy. It will create that kind of human connection where you're like, actually, ah, oh, do you know what? And because it's not saying you'll always accept the behavior, and this links to something called egocentric thinking, which is a thought bias we have where we yeah. sometimes hold other people accountable towards our own goals and values. So we might be like, I would never be late for a friend or a meeting. This person's late, which means they don't value me as a friend or as a partner or as someone to yeah. work with. And it's not saying you accept that behavior, but what you're saying is I accept I can't control that behavior. So what else could be true here? You're not trying to like give people excuses in certain situations. You just kind of come to the conclusion that actually this could be the case. And even if that is the case, I'm not saying that that's always acceptable, but I'm saying I can't control it. But here's another way of looking at it to avoid me just having this one track mind, which then creates yeah. this story in my head. Definitely. And it is the stories, right? It's the stories that you say in your head, which create the reaction. So I like it. One of the strategies I know that you, you talk about is kind of this, this getting things out of your head, because for me, you know, uh, historically, at least I'm a little bit better with it now with writing things down, but you know, I used to take pride in my ability to remember everything that I needed to do. But then I'd also lie there at night thinking, Oh my God, I've got so many things to do. And actually that, keeping everything in my head being a source of stress as well. Um, you know, you, you're a keen advocate for people to write things down, especially at the end of the day. Do you want to talk us through you know, that uh, technique and how you find that to be useful as well? Yeah, writing is very similar to the stopwatch piece and the 90 second window is it causes you to use the rational part of your brain. You can't use both parts of the brain at once. So all of these techniques, the idea is about disruption. It's disrupting that what is quite a lot of the time habit of us going straight to that part of our brain. That's where all the emotion sits. The more you can write things down, the more you can take back control. And you might say like, oh, I don't feel like writing it down. It's, it's recognizing it doesn't matter how you, just cause you don't feel like it doesn't mean you can't do it. Like yeah. we sometimes think, Oh, I don't feel like it. It's, this links to motivation as well, which is one of the myths that we can talk about in a second, but that's still going, well, okay. I might not feel like it because it's not a habit yet. And secondly, that should then stop me from doing it. I can still do this even if I don't feel like doing it. But writing it down causes you to lose the rational part of your brain. It also makes you feel present because everyone can touch type. But if you try and write without looking, it's not going to be pretty. Mm -hmm. um, even when I look, when I am writing, it's not pretty. And the third thing is once you have written it down, 
you can then change the perspective and go, oh, you know, how would I look at this if a friend was to tell me this or another person? Mm-hmm. But when you write things down, you can look at things in more of an order. Whereas up there is just pure chaos. It's like looking at a jigsaw puzzle in the box still and going, I can't work it out. It's like, well, let's get yeah. some of it on paper and work out where the edges are. Yeah. For me, it's, it's like a spiral. I could I literally, I see the same thing coming back. I've seen you again. <laughs> it's that. But in the time, you just, you just have an unending source of stress that's going through your brain. It's called, it's yeah, I call it, it's yeah. called, um, Phil Stutz calls it the maze. Um, mm. There's a really good documentary on Netflix called Stutz, Jonah Hill interviewing him. And he's written a book uh, called The Tools. And he talks Ah. about the maze. And as soon as you enter the maze, you will be going in and around and and you're just going round and round these things. Not really making any logical sense of it, but writing things down allows you to even draw that maze out and go, right, actually, let's just trace our steps here. Where are we trying to go? I think I saw an advert for that. It's Jonah Hill, right? So this is his therapist. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to watch that. Big Big fan of Jonah Hill. Um, okay, awesome. I think there's, you know, there's some strategies. I'm sure there's plenty more. Um, one question I've got, this all seems really simple. I know, you know, I've been there and it just seems too good to be true. Like just sit here for counting 90 seconds. Um, what would you say to the people who go, that's too simplistic, Chris? Come on, like, surely that isn't going to have an impact on my stress. You know, I've, I've got emails to write. I've got calls to, to get back to people. Like, come on. 90 seconds just counting? Yeah. Well, I'd say, well, until you've tried it, you you know, give it a go. That's the thing. It, and, and that's the thing. I think the simplest things are the most impactful. Because if I sat here and went, here's this 10-step thing to do, you're like, oh, that sounds really complex. That's too long. I'm not yeah. going to do it. <laughs> Some, <laughs> so, somewhere between simplistic and 10 steps is, is but, the perfect. But the, sim- the simplest things are the most effective. And, you know, there's this, I was listening to something the other day and uh, someone asked them, like, what was the biggest lie you've ever been told? And they said, it's not that simple. And they said, what do you mean? He's like, no, that's the biggest lie I've been told is it's not that simple. It is that simple. Some yeah. of these things are that simple to do and they, and they will work. And um, going back to Phil Stutz, he talks about like when you are in a state of, of feeling very stressed or overwhelmed, Focus on your life force, which is the relationship you have with your body, the relationship you have with your friends, the relationship you have with yourself. And your your body, if you can change your state, you can change your story, you can change your strategy. I know Tony Robbins talks about that as well. But changing your state is the biggest thing. Like even when you listen to music and or when you've we talked about exercise earlier on, you know, when people like if I said to you, if you'd never exercised before, you're gonna go and do all these exercises for 30 minutes. You're going to feel really tired. You're going to feel really, it's going to, it's going to ache a little bit, but at the end you're going to feel really good about it. You'd be like, that sounds weird. That sounds too yeah. simple. Like, how yeah. does that work? And or you're going to listen to something. Yeah. You're going to listen to something for three minutes and it's going to change your mood. You'd be like, that sounds too simple. It's like, well, yeah. The, when you think about the things that we already know, they are the, they are really simple when you break it down and exercise is a weird one. Cause you think, well, how is that going to make me feel better doing this? So I'd say these are just other things like that, and we're just not familiar with them, which is why we, why the natural reaction is to think that sounds too easy. What is, what is your take on exercise and how it impacts stress? You know, for me, um, you know, I've tried meditation, you know, but for me, exercise, if I don't exercise for a couple of days, you can tell, like there's a, there's a different version of Dan that comes to the party and he's not a nice guy. Um, <laughs> but what's your, what's your take? What's your advice on, on exercise? You know, how, how do you see that impacting people's mental health? Yeah, for me, it, it's huge. Um, you know, I love 
I love exercise. Um, it's it's always been part of, and I think it is one of the reasons why I do consider to have a good, healthy level of mental health is because I am taking care of myself physically and it has that kind of domino effect. But one thing I'd say is for people who maybe aren't using exercise is don't be overwhelmed by it. People think, oh, exercise is I have to go to the gym every day and I have to go and do a HIIT workout. Is just look at exercise as simply as a walk. Like yeah. if, you're, if you're not exercising at the moment, just think, well, I'll just try a 10, 15 minute walk. Because some people are like, I'll try and do a 30 minute walk a day or a run. And then they're like, I've only got 20 minutes, so I can't. It's like, still go for 20 minutes. Like just do as much as you can. Even if you've only got five minutes, <clears throat> do five minutes, but just start using it. Because even those little moments, those minutes, those five, 10, 20, 30 minutes, you'll start to notice how you feel at the end of it. And if you aren't in the habit of already, ask yourself, rather than thinking about how do I feel right now is how am I going to feel at the end of it? Because mm. that's often what stops people is I'm, oh, I don't feel like it now. I haven't got time. I've got these emails going. How will you feel if you've been out for that walk for 20 minutes over lunch? Yeah. Are you going to feel worse? Probably not. Okay. So go for it. Yeah. And it's about taking time for yourself. A few of these things are right. Interrupting the pattern, right? And you know, we often get stuck in this do more, do more, do more mindset or actually pressing pause, you know, for 90 seconds, for a 10 minute walk, whatever it is, allows us to get into a better state, you know, and I've, I've been through some of Tony's stuff. And that state management is is a key piece, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big goer to the gym, but you know, I'll also just go and walk into the garden and, and do some gardening for five minutes, especially when I'm just getting into that kind of mindset where things are getting a bit busy. So write some stuff down, go, you know, spend five minutes in the garden, come back, you feel completely refreshed. Mm. That's awesome. So, Chris, you do you do some work. There's obviously good companies out there that are prioritizing their people. You know, I think we see quite a few of them getting celebrated on uh, LinkedIn and, and socially. There's you know a lot of people that haven't quite caught up to this awareness around stress management, personal management. Who who are you seeing doing a really good job of this in the market? Who who's leading the way in terms of you know a people first uh, focus on their teams? Yeah. Uh, I think Aircall, who I've worked with for nearly two years now, they they do a great job. Uh, French companies, well, worldwide now. But what what's great about working with them is that they are, you know, this isn't just a tick box exercise. It's not just uh, come in and talk mm-hmm. about this. It's something that we work with them regularly, so they give access to our, our confidential one to one sessions, and anyone from a BDR, AE, CSM can come in and use these to, to the leaders, and the leaders do. But they also talk about it internally. They've got to a point now where this is very much spoken about openly. Um, the conversations they have, the one-to-ones, they will always start with the person, not the number, not the mm. performance. Not, it's not at the end of, oh, well, you know, how was your weekend or how was your break or yeah. how are you, which is the worst question you can ask someone because it's such a default response <laughs> um, for if you genuinely care or at least yeah. even ask it twice can actually disrupt that. But yeah, yeah. I think I think then there's a... There's a few other companies as well where, you know, if I talk about some of the things they'll do, where, like, for example, when you're taking a uh, holiday, one of the most stressful things in sales is like, there's no such thing as the right time, really, because uh, you're yeah. so worried about all the emails you'll get back. So some companies I work with, they'll use a buddy system all year round where they'll always have a buddy. When they're on holiday, this person will take care of it. There's no commission split. It's just a case of, what you'll do for me, I'll eventually do for you. So, well, yeah. you know, there's none of this. Oh, well, I worked on this for two weeks while you were away, so I should get 10, 15%. That just gets complicated. <laughs> yeah. um, 
around it as well. So there's those. And then I think the, the biggest one is where we see leaders actually talking about this and being vulnerable and open and, and talking about their story. And there's this misconception of vulnerability and accountability, I think, where it's almost like you've got these scales and on one side is vulnerability, the other is accountability. And this misconception is, well, the more vulnerable you are, the less accountable you make people, which isn't the case because you can still be vulnerable and you can still make people accountable. It's not saying that what you're trying to say here is that I'm saying to you, there's going to be some days where you might not feel like yourself and and that's okay. And when you do, we're here to talk. I'm not saying you don't have to turn up and do your job every day. It's saying on the days where you maybe feel like it doesn't come to you as naturally as it would other days, that's okay. And, and we're here to support you on that. And that's the kind of key piece here. You, you mentioned leaders being kind of important in this. I think this, this seems to be a cultural shift, right? You, you can't, I say, bring in a motivational speaker, yada, 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 you're fixed. There has to be a, a cultural shift of, of people taking time for themselves, focusing on this, you know, and, and individual contributors will often replicate what their leaders do or what their managers are seeing doing. So, you know, you mentioned Aircore. How are they, how have they managed to shift the culture where it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's throughout the organization? Is there anything specifically they've done um, that's allowed it to be a cultural shift? I think they built it from the ground up in that case. You know, it wasn't, I, I wouldn't say it's a shift there. It's hiring the right people in the first place and not mm-hmm. compromising on the culture is really the biggest thing is not thinking, oh, this person's a top performer or this person. Like this. Yeah, but culturally, if they're having a negative impact, that's the most important thing that you need to yeah. focus on. And leaders, again, being very open and talking about it. And from the interviews to the onboarding to the one-to-ones, um, just making people feel like, you know, I can, first and foremost, I care about you as a person before your number. Yeah, that's really good. And it's, you know, I'm glad that some companies are leading the way. I think, you know, there's leaders, you know, and if you are a sales leader out there, be more vulnerable, right? I think it's that. Show that show that stress is real. Show that you don't have to power through it all the time. Um, demonstrate some of the techniques and, and give people access to the resources. Um, Chris has been super useful and, you know, I'm, I'm taking notes away and I'm definitely going to be trying some of these techniques. What would be the things that you would say, like straight out the gate, if people just listen to this, how should we, how should we change today? How can we better manage our stress? Uh, what would be some of the things you'd recommend for us to do? I think the question thing is big is just be mindful when you are in that state, you're giving yourself statements, which is keeping you there, ask questions challenge it where's the evidence what else could be true here what are one of thing what are one or two things i can do to control this situation a lot of the time when we're stressed we focus on all the uncontrollables and the things we can't move but sometimes just asking that question can get you to go right what can i control here and maybe what do i need to accept that i can't control you know i say the senior accept a wall is a wall the less time and energy you spend trying to push it over so just accepting that thing can help doesn't again mean it's right Sometimes we want to look for justice. We want to be like, that shouldn't be like, they shouldn't be like this. It's like, okay, but we're not here to serve justice. We're here to focus on what we can control around it. And again, we're not accepting that behavior. We're accepting we can't control it. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then the second thing is the perception is going, stress is here to benefit me. It's here as a signal, not a threat. Asking what is it trying to show me? is a way that I can start working on it. And the third thing is it's okay to feel stressed. It's okay to feel, it's okay to feel any emotion. Never tell yourself I should or shouldn't feel a certain way because that just makes it worse. doesn't help. As we said earlier on, 
it's just recognizing I started boxing a few years ago and my coach said to me, no matter how hard you train, you're still going to get punched in the head. And these tools aren't to stop you ever reacting to these things in that way or seeing something as negative or perceptions of it. It's getting you to a point where you're able to recognize when it's happening and having the tools to be able to reset yourself, even if you have to do it five or 10 times a day. Yeah. No, I love that. And like you say, sport is such a, such a great teacher of these things. I think in boxing, you've got to have a short memory. My, my sport is American football. You know, you have one play, it would go well or badly. You have to forget it immediately and move on to the next. I think there's, there's some good learning opportunities in there. Um, This has been fascinating. Thanks, Chris. And, And I think you said acceptance you know, recognizing its stress is there to help us and then just, you know, realizing it's going to come, but it doesn't have to stick around. That's awesome. Um, Chris, I know there's there's loads more resources and there's loads more help you can give people. How can people stay in touch? How can people get to know more about you, more about sales psyche? What should they do next? Yeah, um, connect to me on LinkedIn. I share a lot of content on there, Chris Hatfield on there. Uh, and if you want to find out more about sales psyche, it's sales psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E.co.uk. Amazing. Well, get on to the website as well. I, I like the resilience test. If if you're interested listening to this, of you know, are you are you resilient? Do you have the ability to deal with some stress? Take Chris's test, take the resilience test on there. It's some I think it's 20 questions that really look at how well you cope in different situations. I was pleasantly surprised, but still some work to do. Um, so I could highly recommend that. Well, Chris. Thanks again. This has been an awesome conversation. Um, I feel relaxed. I feel ready to take on the rest of the day. Uh, And I have a few more strategies to take on the stress as and when it does arrive and punch us in the face. Uh, Look forward to catching up with you soon, buddy. This has been a, a good call. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dan. See you soon. You know what I think, Ron? I think that was a sales call. Good job, buddy. So you're going to buy a subscription? No, I already get the times. Bye-bye.